All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We got a terrific Friday morning show for you, including those backlogs at ICBC to get a driver's license, get a road test. This is brutal. The waiting list there, literally weeks long, months long in some cases. Some people are even driving to other parts of the province where the waiting lists are shorter. There are people literally driving to places like Nelson and Castleguard just to get a road test. Now, let me give you some breaking news on this, all right? ICBC just announcing in just the last few minutes here they will add 2,000 new road test appointments in the month of September. ICBC also saying they are hiring new drive driver test examiners and they will add another 6,000 road test appointments in the lower mainland in the coming weeks. Now if you've already booked a road test and you were on one of those waiting lists going on for weeks and months and mushrooms growing out of your butt here while you're waiting to get a road test, you should definitely go on the ICBC website and check it out and see if you can get an earlier test date because they've added these new test dates. That statement just out from ICBC. So make sure you do that. That's, of course, assuming the ICBC website does not crash again when you try to access it. We're going to bring you all the latest on that. Now, at the bottom of the hour... I'll be talking to a spokesperson from ICBC, and we'll get the latest on this for you. So if you're looking to get a road test, you're looking to get a driver's license, make sure you keep it locked right here as we bring you this uh, developing story for you. Tons more on the show today as well. Last night, Donald Trump accepted the Republican nomination for president. We'll talk about that on the show today. The Trump Hotel in downtown Vancouver is shutting down. We'll get the latest on that for you. We'll talk about the homeless tent city in Strathcona Park, the problems in that neighborhood getting worse. That's all coming up on the show today. But first, let's talk about the protest by professional athletes and sports leagues. The Vancouver Canucks game against the Vegas Golden Knights canceled last night uh, as players come together in solidarity and anti-racism protests games canceled again tonight let's check in with rob williams now he's the very fine sports editor over the daily hive rob nice to talk to you again hey mike how are you i'm doing good man thanks a lot for coming on so uh, tell listeners the latest here what exactly has been canceled and when are they going to when are uh, games going to start again yeah, I mean, this this sort of felt the last couple of days almost felt like when the the sports world uh, came to a halt uh, for the uh, coronavirus. So this time it was um, in response to the the sh- police shooting of uh, Jacob Blake uh, began with uh, with the NBA really um, and really yeah. with the Milwaukee Bucks. They were ready to play a game and they and the players walked off the floor on Wednesday. So. That's just essentially set off a chain reaction where um, the team they were supposed to play, the Orlando Magic, supported them and 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 you know also participated in, in the the boycott. They didn't, you know, I suppose theoretically they could have accepted a forfeit and won the game. Um, they didn't do that. Uh, the remaining games on the NBA schedule had have all been uh, postponed as, as players have, have come together. And there was even talk in the NBA. LeBron James was one of them. We were saying like maybe we should just you know, cancel the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, so, is that, so is that possible? Is that possible? Or are, this, are the seasons when all these sports going to continue here? Yeah, no. So they're gonna, they're, they're all going to continue. So the NBA yeah. hasn't released its schedule yet. The NHL released its uh, revised schedule. So uh, NHL players uh, followed suit with the, with the NBA and, uh, and, you know, essentially boycotted games that they've, 
and it should be said that the the team owners and and uh, all the organizations have all supported their players in this. They're they're not fighting them, they're not uh, uh, suspending them or, or fining them or anything like that. But uh, so the Canucks are going to are going to start up their playoff series again. Uh, it's going to start tomorrow night, six forty five p.m. and they're and. If the series goes seven games, they're going to be playing five games in in, in seven days, which is uh, pretty unprecedented for a playoff series with a lot of hockey in a short amount of time. Okay, how did this get rolling with the NHL? Because it was interesting on day one of this protest movement among professional athletes. It seemed kind of spontaneous by the, at the player level, as you mentioned, starting with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks uh, refusing to take the court. And then a lot of other games were canceled in other sports in solidarity and sympathy with them, except for the NHL, with which the games went ahead there yesterday, so um, or the, uh, the day before. So, yeah, why was why was the NHL kind of late, sort of sort of getting on board with this thing, and, and how did it get rolling behind the scenes? Because I've heard the Canucks played a key role in it. That's right. Yeah, I, I mean. The NHL had had two games scheduled after the Bucks walked off the floor, so I, I, right. I think a lot of people can understand why the first game was played. There wasn't a lot of time um, in between, but I, I mean, I, I cut them a bit of slack for the for the late game as well. Um, there's a lot that goes into a player led uh, boycott. I mean, you've got you know NHL players don't want to be walking out on their team in the middle of a playoff series, so they want consensus. They want to talk about it. Um, so I don't think it was a lot of time for that on Wednesday. Um, but, I mean, they were criticized heavily, and a lot of people were upset that they played that, especially the late game. Um, yeah. th- it started on, on Thursday. Uh, Ryan Reeves, uh, uh, one of the few black players remaining in the playoffs uh, for the Golden Knights, um, said he received a phone. He woke up to a, to a text from uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, who plays for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he was saying that there's some players in the Eastern Conference wanted to talk uh, and then the Canucks were apparently one of the, the teams that, that um, you know, kind of swung the pendulum into, you know, um, getting this moving in, into, a, into not playing the games. Uh, the Canucks contacted Reeves, uh, which, of course, is an interesting dynamic because Reeves is, you know, Vegas' tough guy who's essentially terrorized them and trash-talked well, them. Well, yeah, he's the, the, he's the guy's... Game. Right, he's the guy they're playing against in the, in the playoffs. So let's have a listen to this, uh, Rob. Here is the player you're talking about, Ryan Reeves. He's a forward with the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, a black player in the NHL, and here he is talking about the uh, the statement that's being made here. Yeah, you know, I think I think if you look around this room, um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of white athletes in here, and I think that's the statement that's being made right now. Um, you know, it's great that the NBA did this and the MLB and the WNBA. You know, they have a lot of black players in those leagues. But for you know, all these athletes in here to take a stand and say, you know what, we we see the problem too, and, and we stand behind you. You know, I, I go to war with these guys, and I, I hate their guts on the ice, but I couldn't be more proud of these guys. It's uh, you know, the statement that they've made today is is something that's going to last. You know, these two days isn't going to isn't going to fix anything, but. Um, the conversation and, and, the, and the statement that's been made is very powerful, especially coming from uh, from this league. Okay, Ryan Reeves there for the Vegas Golden Knights, one of the few black players in the NHL. The NHL is like 98% white players. I saw one, uh, one calculus there, Rob. So, I mean, like you said, predominantly white league as opposed to like the NBA, which is like 74% African-American players. But why do you think it was uh, important? Do you think from the from the NHL players' point of view to to take this stand? Why do you think they're doing it? 
Yeah, no, I, I think that this is something that that's that's obviously bigger than hockey, and I think that yeah. uh, one of the one of the big things that's really come out of the the Black Lives Matter movement in the last number of months is um, you know this this growing sense of of this can't just be all on on black people to fight for this cause. And you look at a number of NHL players, including a few Canucks, um, you know, they really, everyone, you know, it seemed for, for a few days, a few months ago, everyone was releasing statements saying, you know, how, what, how they are going to learn and, 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 uh, you know, advocate for this. Um, so I think when, when you see that, how much this, um, affects you know especially the, especially the players in the NBA I mean listening to to a few of the Toronto Raptors players talk um, you know it it hits them differently it you know it, I don't think a, a white player could could understand what it's like to be a, a, a black man in, in America right like it's just it, it's it's a it hits differently and I think that after everything the NHL players said that they had to follow it up with action. Um, if, if they had continued to play, it would have been completely tone deaf. Um, and, yeah. and, and they were already getting lambasted on, on Wednesday. And, and yeah. um, I think doing something was better than doing. What, what do you say? What do you say to people? And I hear this a lot from people who say, I don't care what your political views are. I, I want to watch the game, shut up and skate, drop the puck. I don't really care what you think about this. I, you get paid big money to play hockey, not to make political statements. I know you've heard that. You know, we'll take a few phone calls here in a minute, and I, I suspect some people, a lot of people, might think that way. What, what do you? What, what? How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I would respond that this isn't really a political issue. I mean, it, this is—they're not talking about uh, about the about the federal budget or uh, or how how they're being taxed, um, and they never have. Uh, this is about. Uh, black people being shot at an alarming rate by police officers in the United States. And if you, it, I don't know how you could look at, at the Jacob Blake video and, and think any differently. I know people do. I, I've seen the comments on the internet, but yeah. I, I just don't know how you could call that a political issue. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. As we continue talking about the uh, protest movement here by professional athletes and sports teams and leagues here and the anti-racism movement, the Black Lives movement, NHL games canceled once again uh, tonight. My guest is Rob Williams from the Daily Hive. So the, uh, the when will the Canucks play again, Rob? Yeah, they start up again tomorrow. So they're going to play tomorrow and Sunday and uh, a lot of hockey until Friday if, if it goes to Game 7. What, what time is the game tomorrow, you know? Six six forty five tomorrow night. Six six forty five. Okay, a lot of people yeah. are excited about this uh, this uh, series, and the Canucks are really. I mean, the Canucks are just so impressive here. This young team, the way they've bounced back, so resilient. They got some players just playing, just playing incredibly well. The goal, their goalie is red hot. Uh, what do you think that this could this um, delay impact the game on the ice at all? Do you think? Uh. I suppose potentially. I mean, it's not it's not a huge layoff. Uh, yeah. for, you know, during normal times, uh, during the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, the games have come uh, fast and furious. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know that it'll have much of an effect uh, on the ice. You I like think, the, I think like they'll the, be ready to go. You like the Canucks Canucks to win this series? I don't. I mean, I don't. I love the I love the fight they showed in Game Two, but uh, it's going to be tough to, to beat Vegas. But but they can play yeah. with them. I, I think they, they can uh, they can give them a test. And, and crazier things have happened in the NHL, certainly. 
Okay, Vegas, I think Vegas could get maybe a lift from this moment here, especially with uh, Ryan Reeves being uh, sort of front and center in this movement. Anyway, we'll see. I think the Canucks are doing awesome here. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898. Toll free on your cell. It is star 9898. Vincent in Burnaby. Hi. Hi there, Mike. Uh, yeah, I have, uh, I'm supporting the NHL players and all other athletes for that matter. I think what the uh, big thing is, it will help. Uh, wh- what I hope it helps is that it stops the violent side of things with people looting and burning and uh, just start looking around. Uh, the athletes should start focusing on that one as well to uh, get their folks to uh, just, you know, stop the rioting aspect of it and focus more on how we get around the racism. The one question, though, that I want answered from, unfortunately, the gentleman that was shot and paralyzed is, I would like somebody to ask him why he didn't stop when the police asked him to stop. Well, okay, the shooting of this man, Jacob Blake, is under investigation, and I'm sure that will be part of it. Uh, The police have said that he admitted he had a knife in his possession. The police are saying they found a knife on the floor of the car. I, you know, look, I, I would say to people like Rob said earlier, look at the video for yourself. Okay. Take a look at the video and just, uh, just ask yourself the question. Is, is there some other way that a police officer could have, could have deescalated that situation and handled it rather than shooting the guy in the back seven times in front of his kids, you know? I mean, just take a look at it from a basic common sense point of point of view on it and try to decide if that's proper police work in your mind. You know, when I look at the video, I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Like, you telling me you cannot handle this situation without shooting this guy and paralyzing him? Like, just take a look. Take a look at the video if you can dispassionately and try to do it objectively and just ask yourself, is this proper police work? And just ask yourself that question. See what you see what you come up with. Greg in Maple Ridge. Hi, Greg. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Go ahead. Good. Thanks for taking my call. I'm just calling sure. about the NHL and uh, yeah. and them going back to work tomorrow. And my question has been since <clears throat> the playoffs started in in Edmonton, why did why did the game start so late? You um, mean I think, I think you mentioned the Canucks start again tomorrow night. Their game is six forty five, yeah. which I believe is seven forty five in Edmonton, which makes it eleven seven eight nine ten forty five in, in Ontario. Nine nine forty five, I believe. Rob, what what goes into the timing? Yeah, a combination of uh, television purposes and also uh, ice time availability. So when there's two games, or in the first round, there were up to three games in a day on the same rink, uh, they need to uh, obviously allow for, you know, about two and a half to three hours for the game to be played, potentially more if it goes into overtime, then they need to sanitize in between games. Um, as for Saturday, Vancouver, the Vancouver's game is the only one on in the Edmonton rink. So they could have played it at a different time. I mean, you're absolutely right. There's a game at uh, 12 PM and a game at 7 PM, uh, Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong time. <laughs> I'm looking at the Eastern time. There's a game at 9 a.m. and a game at 4 p.m. Uh, for the Eastern bubble. They could have definitely slaughtered another game but the, in the, there. The Canucks, game, the Canucks game tomorrow is 6.45 local time here. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so they, okay. they could have slaughtered a game in, even earlier. But this is, a. Okay. I mean, this is 15 minutes earlier than a normal hockey night in Canada time. Okay. Uh, so I think that suits CBC just fine. Okay, fascinating days. Rob, thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks.
Welcome back. Let's talk about those delays and backlogs now for getting a driver's license in British Columbia and especially an ICBC road test. Of course, road tests were cancelled early on during the COVID-19 pandemic. Road tests starting up again. Uh, but of course, there is a lot of backlog from the tests that were cancelled. Uh, some people have had trouble accessing ICBC's website to try and get a road test scheduled. Have a listen to this report here from Global News reporter John Hua. A road test is a rite of passage that already comes with a lot of pressure. All right, shoulder check. Now imagine your family having to drive eight hours out of town just to give you a shot at getting your license before your learner's permit expires. I even feel pressure and it's not even me. It's a bit scary, a bit stressful, but we'll get through it. 17-year-old Liam Martin was hoping to lower the stakes by booking a road test in North Vancouver but like many others, was caught up in a three-month backlog after ICBC put the brakes on testing during the early stages of COVID-19. Martin's Learners expires in a week, so the Kootenays came calling. He's got a driving exam in Nelson, so we are doing a road trip. (laughs) Make sure you got your L on there. Got it. In fact, once a learner's permit expires, ICBC prohibits anyone from booking a road test until the knowledge exam is rewritten. The wait for that, around two to three months as well. The closure's three months, four months. The expiry date should be extended the three or four months past when they reopen. Hey, that was a report there from Global News reporter John Hua. All right, let's check in now with Joanna Lynn Sangen. She is a, a spokesperson for ICBC. Joanna, thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks, Mike. Okay, I know you guys are working to try and uh, clear this backlog. Tell me what you guys are doing there at ICBC to deal with this. Yeah, well, for example, today we are, we're happy to announce that we've opened up an additional 2,000 new road booking slots, and that's available for our customers to book online today. Um, and when we're looking at the, the timing of those, uh, a number of them are actually starting in September. So for anyone who's booked an appointment and it's further out than they'd, than they'd like, they can actually go to our website right now and rebook their appointment. And if they get one of these slots, they could actually be taking their road test in September. So that's really good news. A couple of other things that we are doing as well, and I, I think um, we kind of touched on with uh, John yesterday, was the fact that we are expanding our, our suite of driver examiners and hiring up to an additional 100 temporary driver examiners. And we're also repurposing some of our claim centers so that we can actually um, conduct road tests from those locations. It's really all about um, uh, exceeding our capacity so that we can meet the demand because it's, it's certainly high right now. And I've, I've heard your stories and I've seen the stories online. So we're doing our very best to, to, to really meet the demand of our customers uh, I can only imagine it's it's really quite frustrating for folks like Liam right now and other families. So um, rest assured here at ICBC, we're doing our very best. Okay, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people frustrated as, as they sit on these waiting lists, and there may be a lot of people listening right now who are in, in that category. So for people who yeah. are, have got, are on a waiting list right now to get a road test, you're mm-hmm. saying that with, with these additional appointments that are, you've announced today, you're encouraging people to go on the website right now? And they might be able to get an earlier test. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just right now. I mean, as soon as we get more examiners, the new examiners that are going through their three-week training, the uh, the quicker that we can get them through and available, we'll be making those time slots available um, on any given day. So, yes, we've added 2,000 today. But, you know, tomorrow, the next day, the next week after, we'll be adding more and more and more. 
uh, and, and to the tune of actually uh, a total of eight thousand additional new slots so that are people, going to be much earlier than planned. Yes. So people should what then keep going back to the website and checking and see if they can get an earlier appointment. Uh, that's that's the advice. If that's something that you'd mm-hmm. like, uh, say that you've booked a few months out and you'd rather have it sooner rather than later, yes, we encourage you. You can visit our website. You know, even on any given day, pre-COVID, 100 new appointment bookings open up. And that's just simply due to operational changes and even cancellations. So um, you you could go to our website and see if there's a, a booking that's uh, available much okay. earlier than what you have. Yeah. Okay, but is, is the website going to crash, though? Because there were problems with the website crashing as people went on it, though, right? Yes. So I, I've checked in with my colleagues over there. They were totally aware. Of course, we, we knew that there was going to be a number of people visiting our website on, on Monday, which is when we opened it up for new road test bookings. You know, you've got to understand that we had like five months worth of uh, people who were waiting uh, to book an appointment. So we had just uh, exceeded our capacity in terms of how many people could book at any given time. So uh, the yeah. system has stabilized, um, which is why I'm here talking to you today and encouraging people to visit our website because uh, we have the capacity and, and we'll make sure that uh, people won't experience any uh, 404 challenges and they'll be able to, to view other um, dates. Okay, speaking to Joanna Linsangen from ICBC here about the backlog in uh, road tests. Um, we're, we're living in uh, unprecedented times, of course, during this pandemic, and I, I appreciate that. But I, I wonder if, you know, you guys are taking some heat here for maybe being, should you have been better prepared for this? I mean, we knew that there were, what, 60,000 road tests were canceled. So you guys knew this kind of tsunami of, of requests would be coming in. We've seen in other provinces, notably Manitoba and Saskatchewan, seem to start a month earlier than us and getting road tests back up and running. So, I mean, you guys kind of knew this stuff was coming. How come How come it's been this bad? Well, yeah, well, like you said, right, this is unprecedented. Yeah. This is our first pandemic, my first pandemic. It's the first for ICBC. And so we really wanted to take a slow and measured approach. And, and the reason being is that safety was a number one priority. And I should probably make note of the fact that since the start of this pandemic, ICBC has never closed. Our offices have been open. Now, yes, we did put a pause on some of our uh, high contact um, customer um, services like road tests. But at the same time, we were still providing services to our customers and we were finding workarounds and thinking outside of the box of how we can best serve our customers um, during this pandemic. So at the very beginning, like everybody else, we didn't know much about the, the, the virus and how it was transmitted. And so we had to take the time to to, to really think about what was the safest way to, to get our examiners back on the road and conducting these road tests. When you think about a road test, it's a very uh, intimate environment in the sense that you've got two people in a vehicle, it's an enclosed space, and they're sitting together for up to an hour. So we didn't really yeah. uh, want to you know, compromise safety in any manner and, and um, <clears throat> risk the safety of our customers yeah. and our employees. And also, I should mention, everybody was having a challenge with securing PPE, right? So getting masks, even hospitals are still facing a challenge with getting N95s. And that's what we were facing at the beginning. So we had to introduce some of our road tests slower. So prioritizing first responders, prioritizing commercial drivers. And then we had to be in a place where we were comfortable enough to introduce the fives and sevens. 
Right, but but when you see families saying like we're going to have to drive to Nelson or Castlegar in order to get our kids a, a road test, I mean that certainly I'm sure that was not the plan here for ICBC because I remember listening to David Eby, the Attorney General, who's the minister responsible. He was asked in the legislature, and he said that uh, he figured this was in July. He said the ba- he figured the backlog should be dealt with by September, and now you've got people booking into January of 2021. To get a road yeah. test. So, I mean, this is this was not the plan, though, right? I mean, you guys, you know, did you guys expect this kind of backlog? Uh, well, we certainly expected a, a backlog. But in, in terms of families that are, are looking elsewhere outside of the lower mainland, uh, thankfully, that number is small. Uh, less than a percent of all the bookings that we have in place are lower mainlanders going out to smaller communities. Uh, I guess the, the relief that we can share with our customers is that the more examiners that we have online, the more locations that we'll have avail- available, we'll be able to make those slots uh, open um, for our customers to book right away. So, for example, in September, we've got seven new road test centers that are opening up, all in the lower mainland. And so that means that all the earlier appointments available to our customers. And I, I guess just keep going back to our website, uh, our um, available availability is going to improve. And in fact, actually, um, in terms of bookings, uh, I know the number is not that great. It was 150 days a couple of days ago, but at first check this morning, um, the wait time is now 140 days. So we're certainly headed in the right direction, and it will certainly get better as soon as we get more examiners on hand. Okay, Joanna, one more question here for you. For people yeah. who've got a learner's license and that learner's license expires before they've been able to take a road test, maybe because they're stuck in this delay, uh, is there anything that can be done for a person in that situation? Could the learner's license be uh, extended in a grace period or something uh, just to, because it, there's a long delay to get the, a, a written road test as well, right? Yeah, well, so for when you get a learner's, it's valid for two years, and then after that, it would expire. Unfortunately, how long it's valid for and when it expires is is written into legislation. So ICBC can't simply make a procedural change. But there are things that we're doing operationally to, to improve the queue for our, our um, learners. So, for example, uh, at the beginning, when we had um, uh, concerns about physical distancing, our knowledge testing kiosks, what we had to do was actually shut down every other one so that we could have um, a safe distancing between each customer. So we actually halved our ability to um, conduct these uh, these knowledge tests. So now we've actually uh, repurposed and refurbished our area. So now that we're back to 90% capacity, um, and in a couple of weeks' time, we're actually going to be increasing our, our, our hours of operation. So for anybody who's getting close to an expired uh, learner's license, they can get it uh, much sooner than than the the quoted date that you had. Thank you for coming on this morning. Okay, well, great, wonderful. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the uh, homeless encampment now in Strathcona Park in East Vancouver. And as you heard on your news there, this is an encampment that is getting larger. Uh, Now the largest homeless camp in the country seems to be getting bigger and bigger the schools nearby as well with schools set uh, to start up again here in the next two weeks let's check in now with katie lewis she is with the strathcona residents association i'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show katie thanks for coming on oh thanks for having me mike can you give us an update on the situation there uh, with the tent encampment 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're almost 10 weeks into this encampment, and it's growing from 30 tents to more than 400, and, and we continue to see it grow every day. Um, uh, we are seeing an alarming increase in break-ins, open drug use, used needles, crime, aggressive behavior, and uh, residents are feeling really increasingly traumatized and stretched, and, and we're really asking our political leaders to step up and, and help us out here because we're in crisis. Okay, is this the biggest tent city in the country now? That is correct. It is the largest homeless encampment in Canada. Okay, it's been going on for many weeks, as you described. We've seen these tent cities pop up in other parts of the city in the past, notably the Oppenheimer Park encampment, which eventually got taken down and people were housed or moved out. Is is there any uh, indication or that this tent city will be shut down? Because it just seems to me like looking at some of the comments from authorities that it's kind of like live with it you're on your yeah. it's not going anywhere yeah and you know strathcona we are um you know we're a, a respectful community and and unfortunately we have the lowest socioeconomic um group of people in um in vancouver we have the least amount of green space but we're also um unappealing to politicians and i can tell you if this homeless encampment was in kitsilano it would be dealt with the next day yeah. The encampment in Strathcona Park is already the double, double the size of Oppenheimer. And we know that there were theft, fires, physical and sexual assaults, fights, drugs, guns. In Strathcona Park, there are playgrounds, picnic tables, and there's a 400-person elementary school nearby. Yeah, I mean, when people talk about, think about the scale of this thing, if they have not been by there, if they've not seen it themselves, when you're talking 400 tents, I mean, this is huge. This thing is massive, and it seems to be getting bigger every single day. So when you've got 400 tents uh, set up in a very confined area, obviously you're going to have those problems. Can you can you talk a little bit more detail about some of the problems in the neighborhood? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we've had, a, I, I'm a bit of a data nerd, so um, <laughs> I keep a track of all the um, incidents that residents report to me, and I've asked um, every resident of Strathcona to, to tell me when things happen to them. And we've seen increasingly concerning things. We had a young mother find a gun in a purse um, that she was simply trying to return to its owner. We've had knives pulled on dog walkers. We've had two dogs kidnapped. We've had children children threatened multiple times we had a eight-day-old baby threatened to be raped and killed with a stick oh my god you know and this stuff is just continues to escalate someone threatened to scrape a child's eyes out um and we just can't you know our our neighborhood we just can't deal with this anymore and and um you know everyone is becoming increasingly traumatized um and i personally had an incident myself that was quite terrifying yeah, you wrote about this on Twitter, which I, I encourage people, if you're interested in this issue around the Strathcona Park en- encampment, you should definitely follow Katie Lewis on, on Twitter as, as she documents this. Can you tell me uh, a little bit about what happened at your own home? Yeah, it was, uh, I think I'm still, I'm still recovering a bit from it as well. Um, I had uh, someone try both of my doors um, with an attempt to get in my home, you know, and I... Um, I, we have we are constantly being put on hold for, with VPD. Um, non-emergency takes about 45 minutes to get through sometimes. 911 doesn't always get us through anymore. Um, so I stood at my front window with a meat cleaver, and the man saw me, and he then went around and tried my back door. So um, I think 
it kind of just came to the point where I'm I'm a really concerned mom and I am fighting for my neighborhood and I am not I am not a typical person who is scared. Look, I was a war reporter in South Sudan, in DRC and Uganda. I have seen some really crazy conflict in my days, but I'm telling you this is Strathcona is like a war zone now. How, how many kids do you have? I have 5-year-old twins. Oh my god. Okay. Um Let's talk about the the official response to this from from authorities because I I don't this is not sustainable. I mean, this is something that's no. got to be done. But when you take a look at the response from authorities, it, it's more like we've set some guidelines on how this camp is going to operate. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like they they there's no is there any indication that the people are going to be moved out or is it more like we're going to try and you know manage it. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I have had, uh, and I, I have had so many conversations with politicians, and, and to their credit, they call me back now, um, uh, which wasn't always the case. Um, you know, uh, we've had lots of discussions with Jenny Kwan. I have a lot of conversations with city councillors, um, and I had a productive conversation with Shane Simpson yesterday, um, and he assured me that in the next week that a census would be done in the camp. Um, in order to be able to triage the needs of campers there, because we know there are homeless activists there. We know there are um, absolutely people in need there. And we also, and I believe this because I have spent a lot of time going to that camp, that there are a bunch of empty tents as well. Um, and that's just based on my, I've probably been there, you know, 50 to 100 times now. Um, but I have stopped going down um, because that was, uh, I was told by VPD that it's not a good idea anymore. And um, after the experience at my house, I would probably concur with them. I'm speaking to Katie Lewis from the Strathcona Residents Association about the homeless encampment in, in Strathcona Park. I'm taking a look at a, a statement uh, issued by uh, the government the other day, and it says that BC Housing and its community partners are, are assisting efforts for people experiencing homelessness in Vancouver, including in Strathcona Park, ensuring that they have available access to available supports and services as they wait for a permanent housing solution. I mean, if you compare that to the Oppenheimer Park situation where there was an action plan put into place to move like 700 people out of Oppenheimer Park and clear the park out... There just seems yeah. to be a different approach with Strathcona. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we know that Oppenheimer took 18 months, though. Um, and and um, largely, I believe that the Vancouver Park Board was to blame for that. Um, in Strathcona, uh, we've been, you know, we've been begging for 10 weeks. And uh, I would have said about three weeks ago, um, I was told that you better get used to it because that camp could be there for two years. Wow. Um, and I say that's unacceptable in our neighborhood is very well known for putting our collective resources together and um, and demanding that the politicians do their jobs. And I, I strongly encourage them to do that. And I am hearing slightly different tones in the last kind of couple days after we had some extremely serious incidents happening, um, including a man who uh, just two nights ago, um, you know, there was a man who barricaded himself in an RV for seven hours and the yes. police were there with bullhorns and you know, we're just seeing, um, there was an incident at McLean Park the other day where um, uh, ch- children were threatened, a group of uh, nine-year-olds were threatened. And, you know, we're just, uh, with school starting in two weeks, uh, we just, we got to keep our kids safe. And it's just, yeah. we can't deal with this anymore. Yeah. Speaking of schools, um, is it, there's an elementary school near there? 
Yeah, that's right. So it's uh, Strathcona Elementary. It's just a couple blocks away. And unfortunately, it's on the route that people walk to get to the downtown east side. They are going, they tend to take um, Hawks Avenue, which I've dubbed the highway to hell, unfortunately. And those poor people that live on Hawks are being subject to real, um, you know, just people shooting up on their front doors every day. Um, people then walk through McLean Park, and then they tend to go through the elementary school grounds. Um, so we're having, um, we're really concerned with school coming back. There's a hundred kindergarten students starting there um, in yeah. September. That's the largest cohort of kindergarten students that have ever started there. A lot are coming from other places in Vancouver. Um, and uh, we deserve that children deserve to be safe at their school. And, and, um, and we demand it, actually. And, and there... we are mothers. Yeah, and our parents will stand up for this, and we will fight, and we will get it. Okay. Is wow. Okay. Is there a plan there that uh, that you're aware of with school less than two weeks away here? For I mean, you know, I imagine parents would be worried about about their kids maybe coming in contact with needles or or people or people using drugs on a, on the school playground or any you know yeah. any of this stuff could happen. I mean, is there a plan to mitigate that? Well, um, so at the child minding center, uh, which is right on the school grounds, in one day they picked up sixty five needles. Um, so. We are working on several things. We are working with the Strathcona Community Policing Center to organize morning sweeps of needles. We have asked that um, some of the fencing be upgraded um, because there's quite a few holes right now. And, um, you know, we shouldn't be having um, unfamiliar faces on school grounds during school. Um, so I have been working with uh, the PAC, Strathcona PAC on that, as well as... Um, Rebecca Bly, city councillor, has taken an active interest in that, and I, I appreciate her efforts there. Um, I spoke about it with Shane Simpson yesterday. Um, however, um, I'm not sure we have a plan, but I know everyone's listening, um, but I'm encouraging them that we have two weeks until school starts. So we got to get off our butts and get going. Hi, welcome back to the show. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a brutal impact on many businesses and sectors of our economy, including culture and the performing arts. So think about that. We've got concerts have all been shut down, plays, performances, all been impacted by the pandemic. A lot of community organizations and uh, cultural organizations is fighting to hang on here. Let's check in now with John Jang. He's a contributor here on the show. He's been looking into this one. Hi, John. Hey, good morning, Mike. Happy Friday. Same to you, sir. So I know you've been talking to the Vancouver Arts Club, right? What's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right when you say that the performing arts sector has been struggling because while restaurants and bars are now open and they're getting back uh, hopefully to normal, the performing arts sector has been slowly trying to figure out what's the best way to come back. So on that note, I spoke with Ashley Kakor and she's the artistic director for the Arts Club Theatre Company about her excitement for a brand new production that's uh, going to open next month. That's right. We are very excited. Um, yes, the pandemic has been very difficult for, for everyone and for the performing arts sector, it's been quite difficult in terms of um, our business models are set up around the idea of bumps and seats, so bringing groups of people together. Um, and so we, right back to March, we've had to cancel 18 months of programming, so it's around 26 productions, you know, more than 300 artists. It's had a huge, huge impact. Um, but we've been spending this summer um, looking at uh, what we can do in terms of 
following all of the public health orders, um, creating art and um, connecting with our audience. So we just announced that we're going to be doing three one-person shows this fall um, from September to early January. Um, each of those shows will actually be double cast. So they're you know, a one-person show where one actor is playing you know, 10 to 16 characters. But in this model, we'll be having two different stars and they will alternate performances. And so um, they'll also have their own stage management team and own crews. And so in this way, it means that we can actually do more performances a week. So we're doing 14 performances a week for audiences of 50, which is what um, the, in BC, you, we won't be having gatherings over 50 until there is a vaccine or treatment for COVID-19. Ashley, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are just as excited as you are to go and check out these shows, but I'm sure not a lot of people have seen a one-person production show, or in your case, uh, the one person with the two actors and then, of course, all the production involved. Can you give us a little rundown on what each show is about? I'd love to. Okay, so the first play is called No Child, and it's written by a playwright named Nilaja Sun, and it takes place in an inner-city school uh, in the Bronx in New York, and it follows the... um, uh, experiences of an artist educator who's sort of been like helicoptered into the school and working with a group of students to get them to put on a play together. And so one of the reasons why I love it is that it really, it shows how theater can have such a huge impact on individuals and then also on a society. And I think that that's like the perfect programming for right now, because that's what we're all thirsting for is narrative, like communal experiences, using our imagination and empathy to put ourselves into other people's shoes. So that's that play. Um, the second play is called Buffoon, and it's by Anosh Irani. Anosh is a local Vancouver playwright. This is a pretty new play. Um, when it was brown spanking new, we actually did a very early workshop and reading of it two years ago. Since then, it's premiered in Toronto, where it won an award for Best New Play in the Toronto theatre scene. And now this will be the second ever production of it. Um, And in it, there is a man named Felix, who has been born and brought up in the circus world. He's a circus clown. And it really explores his desire to find love, to be loved, to share love, to receive love. Um, it's quite funny, uh, but there's also a real literary sense to his to Anasha's writing, a real sense of like longing and desire that I find quite poetic and really beautiful. And then the last show of our little mini-series is called 12 Dates of Christmas, um, and it's by Gina Hoban. And this show was actually part of our original 2021 season that we had planned and We've had to cancel that whole season, but this show, being a one-person show, we realized we could hold on to. And in it, our heroine um, is watching the Macy's Day Parade uh, on Thanksgiving, and she sees her fiancé kissing another woman. And so the play shows her trials and tribulations and adventures and experiences over a year jumping back into the dating scene in New York City. So I say it's a little like sex in the city meets the holiday season. Um, And we're really excited about an audience, our audience coming into our spaces and enjoying the holiday season with this really smart, sassy, funny one, one woman show. Ashley, is there a way for people to maybe watch these shows without having to physically be in the theater? Just because not everyone, by the time the fall rolls around, uh, will be comfortable to go inside until they know that there is a vaccine readily available. 
Yes, absolutely, because we know that. Some people are going to be really ready to come back into a space, and some people aren't going to be, and we totally respect that. And so we, for the first time ever, are doing live streaming of our productions. Um, and so the way it will work is on the opening night, people will be given the opportunity to purchase the opening night live stream uh, and experience that. And then that recording will be available during the entire length of the run of the show, which is six weeks. And people will be able to rent that recording and watch from the comfort of their own home. Ashley, despite the excitement that you have for the new production coming up uh, starting in the fall, how tough is it to look ahead and realize that it is a very uncertain future, financially speaking, for the Arts Club with all that's been happening with the pandemic? It's such a great question and the question that we are constantly asking ourselves. We are thrilled that we'll be working with 35 freelance artists through this fall. Um, to create these shows, all of our actors and directors and stage managers, and that's wonderful. Um, we do know, though, at the Arts Club, the reason that we've been able to keep our employees employed is because we've been on the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy, and that wage subsidy is now, through the fall, starting to diminish. Um, each month, the subsidy becomes less. And so we actually know, it's, we're very excited to be announcing these three shows, and at the same time, we know that we're going to be having to do layoffs within our our, our staffing levels. Um, so it's, it's kind of a bittersweet time at the Arts Club. We know we have a major deficit next season. We know that these one-person shows um, are not, because of a limited audience of 50, they're not going to be able to financially sustain the organization. Our goal through programming this work is to not add to the deficit um, and to keep a connection with our audience and to be um, prudent and careful um, in our costs. What we don't know is the big risk is if people are going to buy tickets this fall, if people are going to buy live stream um, passes, if they're going to come to the theater. So there's definitely a risk in terms of programming this fall a financial risk in terms of programming this fall, but we think it's really important to be relevant and connect with our audience, and we feel like we are in a good position to take that risk. All right. Ashley Corcoran there from the Vancouver Arts Club in conversation with our own John Jang. John, nice job on that, and it's it's one of those stories where people might have forgotten that this is a sector of our economy that's just been battered by this pandemic. And so I, I guess what I heard there was kind of a, a good news, bad news story. I mean, it's, it's great that they're trying to hang on. They're, they're trying to get shows back up and running, which is, which is good news. But as you heard her describe there at the end, I mean, the dark times are not over here. And I, some of these uh, cultural organizations are just scrambling to hang on. Absolutely. It's a uh, bittersweet as she sort of described there. And I think, it's being very honest about the reality of the situation moving forward, but uh, they are hopeful that this production will be a success and that people will want to be back in the theater. I know I'm very interested. I love live theater. Used to be in the in the drama class in high school, was part of the improv club. Uh, they, they have asked that if anyone's listening and, and wants to help out or just needs more information on these programs, you're always encouraged to visit their website. That's artsclub.com. And they've got the program details plus a way for you to support and maybe uh, help them out uh, any way you can.